This morning I want to share with you just a couple of things. Pastor Stephen is going to come and lead us in a message in just a moment. Before he does that, I want to say this morning, you may have noticed as you worshipped this morning that our worship team looked a little different this morning. Daryl Tusher, who has been a regular part of our worship team for years and years, has decided to step away and take a break for a little while. And so I wanted just to acknowledge that this morning and to thank him. I'm grateful for the ministry that he's given us. Uh, he's, he's on the reserve team still, so I'm sure we'll still be calling him back at different times, but is going to worship with his wife and, uh, and worship alongside in the congregation. And I'm grateful for that this morning and grateful that he has the opportunity to do that. I'm also grateful for Pastor Stephen. He's going to come and share with us here in just a moment. And I, I have said this in different times and in different places, but when we hired Pastor Stephen in June, I had hopes that at some point we might get to the place in our relationship where we are now and that he might be able to help us in the ways that he already is doing now. I'm so grateful that God uh, brought him on staff with us here this summer. I'm so grateful for the ways uh, that he helps and leads in ministry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I just could not, I, I could not fathom in June when we hired Pastor Stephen that, that he might be leading us and helping us in the ways that he is right now. And I'm grateful that God has directed that. This morning, he's going to come and share a, a bit of what he's been sharing with our youth group on Wednesday nights. And I look forward with you to hearing that and to, and to being under his ministry this morning. And so, Pastor Stephen, please come and lead us this morning. Yeah, I think uh, when I when I think back to June too, I have to equal. I, it's it's humbling to me because uh, uh, I didn't I didn't know what to expect either. And I think the only thing I can say is that God is good. That's really that's really what it comes what it comes down to um, in that. Um, so it's humbling for me too um, in that. But this morning um, we're going to look at we've been we've been going through. Um, the, the, the books or, or the scrolls of Samuel, as I always joke with you, since they were on scrolls originally. Um, and we're still in 1 Samuel, and, and what I want to do is kind of just go over a few of the things we've ended up looking at in 1 Samuel, and um, we've just been walking through that, and, and, I, and we're, where we're at, where we'll be going forward here is we're about to where um, David's going to have his run-in with Ahimelech, the priest, and the whole ordeal of the holy bread, if you're familiar with that story. So that's where we're at, and today we're going to be before that, and what I decided to do is, is look at kind of some case studies of some of the, of some of the people we've run across going through, going through Samuel in this way, and how uh, there's, a, there's a theme that keeps coming up in Samuel that we keep running into as, as we've, we've gone through it, and, and it's, it's a theme that really runs through the Bible, and it's just this idea of of our trust in God, what that looks like, and, 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 and our faith. And we're going to look at kind of th three different kind of case studies in how people have put their trust in God, their faith in God in that way, or their lack thereof in doing that, and just what that led to and how God worked and was orchestrating through, through all those things. And so, um, so we'll be kind of 
just kind of walking over, and there'll be a few verses we'll, we'll look at. So if you want to open to 1 Samuel, you can kind of be there, and there'll be a few spots um, we'll reference in there. And so, um, so the, first, the first one we're going to, well, where I started, I guess I should say, is, is kind of gave a little recap of Judges and how Judges, the events of Judges kind of led to where Samuel begins and how we had, uh, as many of you know, there's that roller coaster through Judges of people walking with the Lord and then soon turning back and, and, and doing things their own way away from God. And we see that up and down already in Judges of what we're going to keep looking at in Samuel in that way. And Judges ends by saying that there was no king in Israel and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And that's kind of where we're, we kind of end up picking up in Samuel. Now there's, there's a little book in between there, Ruth, that takes place during the time of, of the Judges. And it's, of course, the story of Ruth um, coming to marry Boaz and how their family line is what led to Jesse and then David... And then, of course, eventually that ancestral line leading to Jesus. So it's no mistake that Ruth is there, setting up that, that family history, that, that uh, line that was going to be so important in when people are putting together those prophecies as God was orchestrating all these things for his salvation that was to come in that way. Um, and so we just, we're already seeing just God's unique and extraordinary ways of bringing about his purposes and those things. And that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of Samuel is in the midst of people continually falling away from following God, how God is still continuing to bring about his purposes. And so our first example we're going to look at is Hannah. Hannah's found right at the beginning um, of, of uh, 1 Samuel and that the story of Hannah becoming pregnant with Samuel. And, and it's just one of those really cool stories in in the Old Testament, um, how she was feeling an overwhelming devastation um, of never getting to have her own child, of uh, she was barren, and that's, that was what she wanted more than anything. She pleaded to God for, for years that God would, would um, give that to her, and, and there was just, you know, so much wrapped up in that, that her, that culture, that Jewish culture, there was so much honor in having your own children, just the honor that came with having your own children. And then, of course, even beyond that, you just think about um, even that big thing of just being a mother to children, just that security that comes with, with having children to care for you in different ways, you know, as you continue on in your years. And so um, that's kind of where she was. That's where she was in this. And her husband, we find tried to make sure she still felt loved. He would do extra things for her to make her feel like, I still love you despite your, you know, this um, barrenness you have. And um, she was still just feeling that just sadness, really. And in some ways, you could maybe even point to it was de de depression in some ways that she just couldn't um, have a child. And she was so broken up that one day while she was praying to God, Eli, the priest, heard her um, kind of pleading and, and talking to herself and just so deep in her, in her prayer that she, he actually thought that she was drunk. Um, that's how you see how fervent her prayer was. 
And I also think this points back to maybe where God's people were at this moment, that Eli's first thought was that this woman that was fervently praying was drunk and not that she was just fervently praying. And so maybe that's even a glimpse at what we were talking about, God's people just going into their own ways and that a fervent prayer was almost foreign to Eli the priest at this, um, at this point. Um, so Eli eventually realized that she was, in fact, not drunk, but praying, praying hard, and um, he prayed a blessing over her. Um, and, uh, and in doing so, um, it, we see that God's, he prayed God's peace over her and that God would hear her prayer. And the Bible in 1 Samuel states that she no longer was sad as she left. And I really think we see a significance in that, um, that indeed God does remember her. That's, that's really what a lot of her prayer was, that God would see her, that God would remember her, and, and then even beyond that, grant her um, a child. But I think the order is what's important here. The order of Hannah's, as we go through these stages of, of Hannah's um, grief to joy in this, in that um, Hannah's joy came before she knew she was pregnant, before she even became pregnant. And she went from sad to, to joyful, and then eventually God um, allowed her to conceive. And she, so her joy was firstly found in that God saw her, that God was caring for her. And I think we see that in her prayer. And, and at first I thought we would just maybe read a couple of verses from her prayer, but I think we're just going to read all of her prayer. And I think just coming out of Christmas, it's maybe good to read all of her prayer because I think you'll see that in a lot of ways this mirrors Mary's prayer that a lot of us end up kind of reading or, or um, at some point hearing in the Christmas season as Mary prayed when she found out um, about her, her pregnancy. And so let's read that. This is uh, 1 Samuel 2. We'll start right at the beginning. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not ignorance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
And so there's nothing in this prayer, when we look at this prayer, there's nothing in that prayer that um, can be read as Hannah being first and foremost and only even happy that God gave, took away her barrenness and gave her um, a child in this way. Instead, we see her rejoicing in her salvation. We see her praising God for his his sovereignty over everything, that's how she rejoices in this moment, that her joy is found in God in those ways, and that she's putting the fullness of her trust in his purposes, in his, his will, his movements over everything in that way. And, and again, this, this began years prior to probably just how she was praying through all these years, and I think we see we're allowed to read the pinnacle of this moment here of of her faith, that she clung to God and his goodness in that way. And when um, Samuel was born, she followed through on her vow. She vowed that if God gave her a child, she would give that child over to God once that child was weaned. And she, and she did that. Her faith in God and her trust kept her true to doing that. And so after Samuel was weaned, which he would have still been pretty young, um, she gave him over um, to God's work. Um, and we read there that God not only grew him into a um, spiritually mature man, but God was going to call him to be a mouthpiece for his people, to be a prophet in this way. And so through, um, through Hannah in this way, we have Samuel come, this, this prophet to the people, God's mouthpiece. And then God goes on to even more fully bless Hannah by giving her five more children um, even after this. And so it's just neat to see um, Hannah's faith in this moment and just to see how, how God worked through her and then how we can see that example of, of how she um, reacted in all these ways. And so now I want to look at kind of this next, this next example we're going to look at here. It's kind of a hybrid. It's, it's going to be kind of the whole of Israel and then also the leading into Saul becoming the first king. And so as you continue to kind of read through 1 Samuel, as we did in youth and walk through these things, we see that Eli, the priest, he had these two sons, and they're described as worthless. Um, probably about the worst thing um, you can be described as. It's hard to think of anything that would be worse than being called worthless. You know, I, I, we can probably think of people in our lives, maybe even they were at Christmas or Thanksgiving, that we would maybe call overwhelming or annoying, or whatever past, I don't know what word you'd use. But it's pretty rare that you would ever think that the word that come to mind is there, just worthless, you know. But that's what comes to, that's how these sons of Eli are described. And, and when we read on about these sons, um, it's, it's fitting. It's fitting in, in, in that they are... Um, described as worthless. They accepted bribes as they were given sp leadership positions, spiritual leaders, that they accepted bribes. The Bible talks about that they perverted justice, um, and they would just swung in whatever direction was most advantageous to them, that they would just go in that way, that that's how they would, they would kind of live their lives, that there was, the leadership was not good leadership in that way. They were twisting um, 
There was just a twisting of the culture, and there was no spiritual guidance in any way. And this led, of course, to less and less wise decisions overall in the people of Israel as they were lacking in spiritual leadership and guidance, and it caused them to just less and less become wise as they had no help in that way. And this was kind of the beginning of another place where Israel was getting to a place of just a lack of reliance on on God, which led to them coming to Samuel, who they knew was was the mouth was God's mouthpiece in this way and, and, and walking with God and demanding a king, that they wanted a king like all the other countries had, that it led them to this place of, of, of this, that, that they wanted to be like everyone else, that even though God had set them apart, they weren't thinking about that, and that God was their, their king, and they had God before them and, and, and all these things, that they wanted a king they could see and make them like all the other countries around them. And what's interesting is that God, in his sovereignty, he grants their requests. He gives them the king that they, they asked for. He answered their prayer, is really what happened, which should be a cautionary tale, maybe, to how we pray and how we bring things to God, that he does answer their prayer. They, they asked slash demanded a king, from God and he allowed it and over time we can see in in Israel it's going to learn that the bad kings are going to outweigh the good kings and this is going to end up not being great for them on many levels and in many ways as you continue through um, the Old Testament that there'll be times where it's good um, but still even in sometimes in those times where it's good there's so much drama and inner turmoil in these way in all of the things that come with having a king, which God tells Samuel to warn them about, um, that when you have a king, this king's going to want to take the best of everything. This king's going to want to take your sons for the military. He's going to maybe take other of your kids to be servants in his house, and on and on, all the things that come with that. And in their lack of trust in God, they still were like, yeah, but we still want a king. <laughs> they, they, they still wanted a king um, because they wanted what every other country had, and they wanted a person that could stand before them as they went into battles and all of that. And so um, God answered their, their prayer. And so trusting God was most of their, their issue here, um, and it was not just an issue for the Israelites here. We, we kind of broke this down when we got to this section in youth and talked about how we still have, have this problem today. This is not a new problem in this, is that we can, we can see and learn truths about God and his faithfulness and be told over and over and over again those things and to, to continue to um, read these things and be reminded of these things, but still we can fail to, to trust in his ways. Um, one, one person said it this way, we think it would be easier to trust God if we could control him. You know, and that's really um, a battle we have to watch with ourselves that, 
that we say we'll follow God, but here's my list of stipulations. You know, we can kind of do that sometimes in how we say we're going to trust or follow God. And when you think about it, those are the exact ways of not trusting someone. If you were to go to your spouse or whoever and say, I trust you except with these things, they would probably be like, I don't think you trust me, right? You know, and that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here um, in these ways. And, um, and so when we look at God's response in, in this, it's also interesting in, in how he does answer their prayer, the demand they have, um, that he does answer it, but they're going to end up learning the hard way what he's warning them against. And so, that leads us to a Benjamite man who had a son named Saul, and how Saul enters the picture. And Saul was described as being tall, handsome, he was a, he was a strapping guy. If there were a Bachelor-type TV show in this time period, he probably would have been on the show, or maybe a runner-up. You know, he was described as being the guy you would want to look to, a tall, strapping, good-looking guy in that way that he had the look of a leader, the guy you'd want standing before you in battle, which is exactly what they were wanting here. Um, and there's a, there's a lot that we went through in youth talking about Saul's coming into anointing as king that we're just not going to get into so much this morning. Um, but Saul's when he does come into more becoming the king, um, Saul's leadership had an early victory. In, um, and so it was starting to look like, you know, the Israelites were like, well, this king thing was a good idea. Look, we're already having victories under Saul. Um, God was with him. And um, even before he was fully installed as king, um, he had a victory protecting God's people from the Ammonites. Um, one of their enemies, and God gave him the ability to do this. And so things were looking up. They were liking this whole having a king um, idea. But pretty quick into Saul's reign, um, he was having some of the same issues that we've been talking about the people of Israel having, of not fully putting his trust in God. And it was causing him to have rash decisions and have poor judgment many times um, going forward. And we can see a couple of those in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. We see a couple of these um, just bad um, decisions that Paul makes. Um, there's one where he's, he's afraid of the pursuing Philistines, and he panics that the men are going to start deserting before um, Samuel shows up to offer a sacrifice, because they're waiting for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice before they go. And he's panicking that Samuel's not going to get there in time. And so he offers the sacrifice himself. And, um, you know, he, that was a big no-no, of course, when you look at God's law, that the, the, he was not the one who should have been handling the sacrifices. But he was so panicky that they were going to start deserting that he just did it himself. There's another one we read there that he makes this rash vow to the men that they can't, he's going to withhold food from them until morning, even though they were already getting tired and faint. 
and were going to go into battle again. And this caused the men to, when they were finally able to eat, to eat, to break more of God's law by what they were choosing to eat. And we, so we just see that Saul just kind of keeps making these quick, bad decisions that are, that are out of his not trusting God, out of his own, out of his own panics and insecurities and anxieties maybe even, um, and just relying on himself to be making a better call than God. And so you can look at this and be like, well, you know, Saul was trying to do the right thing. He just, you know, just the, well, there's wrong motivations, you know, maybe in this. And he seemed to be the one that was enacting worship. You know, isn't that a good thing? Um, he was wanting to make sacrifices and prepare, you know, them for battle and all these things. Um, but he was, it's, it's not because the problem was that none of it was ultimately done out of his honoring of God or his trusting of God, that he was just doing it out of his own protection and his own failures to see um, God's work in these things. Um, so he had this appearance of faith, but there was a lack of authenticity in it. And so his victories were going to end up not lasting because he had this lack of authentic faith in God, and God ends up rejecting rejecting Saul, and instead pursuing a man after his own heart to be the next leader of Israel, which leads to our, our next example, which of course is um, David. Uh, he wasn't a tall, strapping guy you'd maybe look to as a leader when, when um, introduced in Samuel. He was a young shepherd boy, um, but that's just God. You know, God, if there's anything God loves doing, it's subverting expectations just because that just seems to bring more glory to him. And, and it allows the people, even in those situations, to just, again, do what we've been talking about here is having to trust in God to lead them in those ways. Um, and so um, God has the ultimate response when David is the one um, that comes before Samuel and is chosen in that he's showing that the appearance of the person doesn't matter as much as their heart. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And um, in 1 Samuel 16, there's a reference there of David being referred to as the youngest. And why I bring that up is we, we kind of know that just from the story that they're going through all the sons. And it's like, no, it's not this one. No, it's not this one. Do you have another son? And they're like, well, yeah, I guess there's David. He's out with the sheep. And he's described as the youngest, which he is. But to get really kind of nerdy about this, it's, there's the Hebrew word that they get that from that's hakatun, I think is how you pronounce it. And it actually has another meaning that um, they would use to sometimes describe someone who is either tiny or kind of the runt of the family and when I dug more into this, it seems like there's kind of consensus that not only was David young, but that he was kind of, kind of a runt, even. That he was even beyond just young, but even kind of just small when, when he was um, a boy like this. And so it's interesting to, to think about that, how there's, 
even this possibility of even greater subverting of expectations by God in this, that he doesn't just pick the youngest son, but the really, like, out-of-the-box sort of pick, and that he was also just kind of like, really, this, this kid? You know, the young one in that way. Um, and when, it's, when we talk about David, it's kind of easy for us to run over that he was ordinary, that he didn't come from a royal line. He was the start of a royal line, that he was just this ordinary um, shepherd, and that his beginnings of his life were as this small shepherd boy, and that you can almost read in this story that, was, that he was kind of almost like an afterthought to bring to Samuel by his own family, if, if God hadn't, you know, caused Samuel to ask, do you have another son? You know, he was almost kind of the afterthought in that way. Um, but the fact that David was ordinary is helping us just see a better description of who God is, which is extraordinary. That it just pointed more to that, that David is anointed king here, but then goes back to shepherding goes back to living his ordinary life. He doesn't um, become king for 15 more years. There's things that happen in those 15 years, but he's not king for 15 more years after this, the, this anointing. He would, at this point, go back to his monotonous job of shepherding the sheep, of protecting them from predators, of sometimes having to um, attack those predators before they would attack him or his sheep. Um, find the wandering sheep, and on and on, just the monotony of life as a shepherd in, in this time period. But in that is where God was shaping David. David's humility and courage and patience would have been forged in that lifestyle of just being this kind of ordinary person that, that God was even using that to shape David for his eventual bigger things he'd be going on to. And so it really kind of, when we look at this story of David in this way, we really see that none of us really have a story like David, that David really isn't a story that any of us can really relate to. It's kind of more of what a Disney movie kind of looks like, where someone from obscurity gets pulled out and becomes a royalty, you know. It's kind of more like that than something that we can um, relate to. But David's story is, of course, going to be a picture of Jesus. That's who his, his story is, that Jesus was going to become the ultimate ordinary to extraordinary example in regards to his, his life on earth, that he comes in just the most ordinary, humblest of circumstances um, and came into the world in relative obscurity. There was a huge angelic celebration, as we just um, talked about here at Christmas, on the night of his birth, but then other than that, back to obscurity. You know, and the only ones who saw the angelic celebration were um, the shepherds, were the only ones who got to experience that. And so a good chunk of Jesus' life was as an ordinary carpenter in Nazareth, but he was growing in wisdom and stature through all those years that God was 
growing with him to um, when he went to set out and fulfill the mission he came to ultimately do, he was ready to do it, and God growing him through those, those years. And now, of course, Jesus became the king of kings, is what we call him now. He's the savior of the world, and he's the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He becomes the ultimate example of this shepherd king. Um, and so we see this, this, this story of David really setting the stage for Jesus and how the prophecies would say from the line of David will come the Messiah in this way. And so I think when we look back at David here, just a real practical thing that you can, you can pull from this early part of David's life is that when we get frustrated in those kind of monotonous uh, moments, to remember that God is still shaping us. God can still be shaping us and working on us in those monotonous, annoying, and frustrating moments of life that come. And that we need to pray for God's help and guidance and to give us patience and humility in those, in those times. Um, the mundane... The mundane of life is where most of us live. And in that, God is still working on us. That even in those moments that God still works on us, that he's still wanting and in all those ways to use us for his purposes. Now some of us, we can be called to do something more and to be maybe raised up into like higher positions in society or to go go off somewhere in those ways but no matter what every day and everything we do is part of our growth process and so we need um, to pray that we're relying and resting on God to to help us to grow us and prepare us for whatever he ends up laying in front of us in those ways and to remain faithful as he is in those times. David went on to show the bigness of God um, to the whole of the people when he went before Goliath. And we, we many of us know this, this part of David's life. It's something you, you kind of just, even if you didn't go to Sunday school, as a kid, it just kind of through osmosis, we all just know this kind of story of, of David and, and Goliath. But when we look at that story, of course, you remember that none of the active soldiers who were there were brave enough or, or wanting to go out and go against this giant's man's demands of fighting, fighting him on a one-on-one -on -one battle for the victory in this way. And um, so none of them were going out before the behemoth man, of course, Goliath. But David was willing to go out um, because he saw not a man necessarily that was a behemoth. I mean, obviously, I guess he would have seen that. But the bigger problem that David was having here is that he was seeing a man that was blaspheming God and mocking God and his people 
And David said, we can't stand for this, that someone needs to um, stop this man's mocking of God and, and, and his people. And so God ended up aiding David, of course, and would aid him and had already been preparing him for these things. As he even talked to Saul, you know, he said, you know, I've, I've, taken, out, I've taken out predators before and, and I know God's going to help me do it again here. And so we're going to, if you want to go to 1 Samuel 17, I want to read a few verses from that because I think this says everything about what we should really be getting from this David and Goliath story and how David was approaching it in that way. So we're going to read, um, and while we're reading that, if the worship team would like to come forward. But we're going to read um, 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47, and I, it'll be on the screen too. And it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword? And with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And I think that says everything to where David's faith and trust was in this moment, that it wasn't like, I'm going to do this and I'm doing this for me and my own glory, but this was about putting everything into God, that it was all for God's glory and that God was going to have the victory that day and that was what it was all about. And so these three examples we looked at today, we see Hannah and David, and how they showed us examples of, 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 of putting their trust, putting their trust in God, and laying these things at his feet, and how God led them in that, and how we saw God blessing them through that, and working with them through that. And then on the other side, we have, we have Israel and, and, and Saul in this, where their decisions were leading to judgment, and to downfalls, and to failures in all these ways over, over these lacking of trusting in God, that, that there were times when they wanted to trust God but continued to either run from his directing or to take matters into their, into their own hands. And so we must pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, that he gives us now as a helper, that he uses that to prod us and convict us and point us to have courage in whatever way that looks like, humility, patience, and faith to fully trust God with our lives. And so let's, let's pray. And Heavenly Father, uh, thank, you. thank you for this history of the Old Testament that we can get a bigger a better picture of who you are in the midst of, of your people's lives. And, and I pray that you help us to live more like what we see in, in Hannah and David um, than we saw in, in Saul's. That we, we recognize that, that, that none of these people were ultimately perfect, that they were all still sinners in need of your 
your grace, but you give grace to those who come humbly to you in their moments of, of recognizing their need of you and their errors. So I pray you help us to stay humble and you, that you guide us in your way that we can have the fullness of our confidence in your good works and in your salvation that you give freely to those with ears to hear and, and that we can pray like Hannah in recognizing that there is none holy like you, there is none besides you, and there is no rock like our God. And so I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll please stand, the worship team is going to lead us in song. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save than thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I comes from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in the hope.